Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunders preseason. Games start tonight. I'm going to be giving you three different names who I believe could be this year's preseason standout and then I'm going to get you guys everything you need to know about the Thunder Hornets game that is coming up tonight. But first I want to talk about the Thunder's preseason standout and kind of just the history that has been surrounding it. And you guys know, I've been one of those who clings a little bit too much to G League guys. I have maybe some bias one way or another, but some of these guys from last year's preseason didn't even go through the blue ranks. Obviously, some of them did, um, but it was just a very successful training camp. For training camp, you get to bring in 20 different guys now. Of those 20, you get 15 on the NBA standard contracts and two on the two ways. That's going to leave three waves. And then even sometimes teams will filter in and out players for rosters 18, 19, and 20 to get G League rights. We saw that last year. Antonius Cleveland was on a deal, got waived after 24 hours. Melvin Frazier Jr. was the next man up. He was on the team for 24 hours. There's a lot of stuff you can do. Uh, to kind of structure not just your NBA lineup, but also the G League one. But for the most part, I would say last year's training camp roster was meant to kind of surround the NBA lineup because some of the attendees, like TJ Leaf, for example, the Thunder traded uh, to get TJ. And there was a second round pick attached, I get it. But there was a lot of money that the Thunder actually brought on to bring in TJ Admiral Schofield, he was brought on with the Credchy deal. Now, was he just a filler player? You can discuss that. Uh, but he was on the training camp roster. And I would say, I mean, the training camp roster was just filled with gyms. There's four people that I want to talk about. And they're all four guys who were either waived or signed on to an NBA team later on. And they might be on one right now and it was just golden for them i'd say the weakest of the four is probably admiral schofield they thundered you know they got him on for just a little bit of time there he didn't play a ton actually during the preseason games but he is kind of impressive he's like six five maybe six six on a good day 240 pounds and i remember at the time when we got him and we saw him in training camp it looked like he could potentially be another Lou Dort, like linebacker type to guard multiple positions. It never really worked out for him. And I think on the offensive side of things too, he just never felt any sort of rhythm. So he got waived, but he was actually the number one pick in the G League draft last year. And there were a lot of pretty solid guys in that pool of players. Now you can kind of run through the list. I think for, uh, I guess, recent Thunder guys, Justin Patton was in that draft. He might've been the first round maybe early second, but those are kind of the players who are just on the cusp of making it. They might bounce around 10-day contracts here and there, but they kind of root in the G League, Uh, and he was the number one guy. So the Greensboro Swarm, that's the Hornets team, they had some interest in him. He never actually played for the Hornets, but he had a good enough time in the bubble to where the Orlando Magic were interested in Schofield and actually offered him a 10-day contract, and he would have played for the Magic last year. The one thing was, when he signed the contract, you have to take tests, like two, three COVID tests. If you're always negative on those, you're cleared, but he did not pass those tests, and the big like travesty, 
he actually got a false positive. So he kind of got screwed out of playing NBA uh, games last season, but he's with the Magic again for training camp. So hopefully he's in contention for some sort of roster spot. I know the Magic aren't as maybe injury ridden as they were last year, but maybe Schofield could get somewhere because he does, you know, he has a decent amount of skills on him. Uh, But once you go past Schofield, there's TJ Leaf. This was the guy I was just talking about. You trade away LeCue, who for some reason I loved, uh, probably because he's super springy, but they traded LeCue to get Leaf in that second round pick. With Leaf, I actually thought he had a solid chance of making the roster because he was a first round pick a couple seasons back. He kind of can shoot. He was supposed to be a stretch four, but he wasn't really that. He was not all that impressive with the team, and he was waived in that kind of pack with Admiral Schofield. And I, I don't think it's all of that surprising, to be quite honest, when he did get released. Um, but it looks like he's doing pretty good now because he really didn't play after he got waived. He was probably just working out. But the Portland Trailblazers gave him a two-way contract. So he played there for a little bit of time, and he's looking to get his footing back into the league. That's still pretty impressive for a training camp attendee though and then once you get past Schofield and TJ this is when things get pretty pretty serious and the first person I want to talk about is Omer Yurt 7 everyone knows if you've been listening to me for a little bit of time I have a thing for Omer Yurt 7 he went in with the OKC Blue and just dominated and before that he was with the training camp I don't remember seeing him actually in the preseason games but I did hear he was in that 20-man unit Now, with the G League, though, he had that Exhibit 10. He wasn't expected to be amazing. Like, he could have been a solid contributor off the bench, but no one could have projected what he did. You had Moses Brown, who was, in my opinion, the best center in the G League bubble last season, and he somehow earned minutes and made sure he got playing time because, uh, you know, if you have pretty much like a Shaquille O'Neal on your team, it's going to be hard to try to get minutes, but Omer did that, and he did a pretty convincing job to where by the end of the G League season, there was a genuine toss-up as to who would play better at the NBA level. But anyways, Omer goes in as a bench guy, pretty much just that typical back-to-basket big, I'd say. Nothing crazy, and it makes sense why he would be the backup at that point. Just straight post moves, seven-footer, going against guys that are six-foot-eight, six-foot-nine. You should be getting shots around the basket, and you should be rebounding pretty efficiently. Did an excellent job with both. Uh, But the big thing that kind of made him uh, really just a valuable asset was his shooting ability. Moses Brown can't shoot. We know that. If you take him five feet away from the basket... You're lucky if the push shot goes in. He is there to just beast and feast on the glass and then dunk on people. And he's really good at that. Um, But Omer is not like that. He's not crazy athletic or anything. So he had to find other ways to be efficient. And it started out with maybe some like post turnarounds, some fadeaways. But then you started to see a face-up game to where he was setting high ball screens. He would stop and pop at the free throw line. He's pretty efficient at it. And then... By the end of it, he was going out to the three-point arc taking shots, and people weren't contesting him because they didn't know how to guard him. He finished the season shooting 7 of 12 from downtown. I think when you check his overall stats, it was like a mid-30s on the three, but he was legit. And the Thunder, they didn't bite. They didn't give him a two-way deal. They let Horde get that one. And the Miami Heat snagged him in May 
on a two-year contract. And from that point, it was kind of like the Charlie Brown Jr. one to where you get him for a week and then it's non-guaranteed second year. So it's really just an Exhibit 10 deal that you got first dibs on. He was so good in these summer league games, both uh, in Sacramento and then also in Vegas, that they gave him a two-year deal. So he's locked on with the Heat now, and there's a very good reason why. He is a great, great center. I don't know if he would have fit with this team necessarily, so he might be better off uh, with the Heat. You know, my greedy side would have wanted to see a little bit more of Omer at the next level, though. And then I definitely wanted to see more of Frank Jackson. This was the poster boy. This was someone that I was really, really upset about uh, when the Thunder decided to waive him. And I remember this episode. I was with one of my friends, and it was just really just a venting session for like an hour because Frank Jackson was a beast when it came to the preseason games. He averaged 12.3 points, one rebound, and two assists across 20.1 minutes when he was with the Thunder. And with those kind of stats, you would think he is sticking around. It's not even going to be close because the Thunder at that time, and maybe even now, uh, could be to a lesser extent. They need those microwave scores. And Frank Jackson is a microwave scorer. That was his kind of thing coming out of Duke. Now, he wasn't all that impressive with the Pelicans. I get it. There were moments there. He definitely showed moments with the Thunder. And I think at that time, and really still at this time, you're hunting for potential. You're looking to get those guys who might have two, three bad games, but that one impressive one can just sway things in a big way for you. And Frank Jackson does that, and he did it in the preseason. It didn't matter what he was doing. He was doing a lot of baseline, just pull-up mid-ranges. He would spot up in the corner when Teo had like a high ball screen from Roby. It was just excellent. There was a whole entire system in place with Frank Jackson just in the middle of it. And it was all for like three, four games because they waved him. He hit the road and... That was that. It worked out because Ty Jerome turned into Ty Jerome. Um, but at that current state of time, it was kind of like, who's going to be that backup shooting guard? It looked like it'd be Hamadou Diallo. And as we know, Diallo's not a shooter. Frank Jackson definitely is. And he's been one for the Pistons. He averaged close to 10 points a game last year with the Pistons. Started on a two-way. Now he's on a two-year deal. And those are two guys in Yurt 7 and Jackson who have just been amazing for their franchises. And even Leaf and Schofield have been pretty impressive uh, given that they were there for like a week and then cut off. So the Thunder, they're very good when it comes to kind of getting all this talent together for training camp and then kind of blossoming them into NBA level talent. And right now, they're still where they were a year ago. So they are in asset accumulation mode. They want to get these young guys in here. They want to see every little drop of potential and then make a ruling on them. And there are a lot of fun guys on this unit. You're not going to see many vets. Obviously, there's favors. There's Muscala. But the people they're bringing in, they're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. They are full of growth here. And that is what we want to see with Mark Dagnalt at the helm of things. And I'm going to give you guys the top three people that I believe are going to be kind of that breakout, like Frank Jackson almost, out of nowhere, uh, guys. But before I do that, I want to let you guys know a little bit about 
my good friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. Week 4 of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for Week 5 with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed weekend, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you do not want to miss out on this. Here's what you have to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or if you're in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. But guys, moving forward to the current roster. I know I was rambling a bit about Jackson. I was talking about Yurt 7. Those are my guys. But there are a lot of guys on this current team. Some of them are on that 15-man roster. Some might be peeking in from the outside. But I think they have a solid shot to be impressive. And the first person I want to talk about is really not that common mold. The guys that I mentioned, they all got waived. And I think when you want to maybe broaden the horizon out, you would say Teo Maladon was the most impressive or the biggest breakout guy per se. Second round pick, goes out there, looks like a machine with floaters. He was taking shots at the perimeter. He was dishing like crazy to the corner. That's where kind of that connection with Jackson came about. But yeah, I mean, he wasn't waived. I didn't mention him here, but he was probably the number one guy when you want to rank guys uh, in terms of expectations uh, before and then after. And I think Trey Mann kind of checks those boxes as a person who maybe right now has a low stock, but by the end of this could be a serious contender for those guard minutes at the one and two, because right now they are already loaded. They have SGA, they have Josh Giddy, Teo's there, Ty's there. There was discussion last season of Teo playing with the blue. I don't know if Trey Mann is of that same kind of group because he was the number 18 pick, but it's definitely in the realm of possibility. If he pops off, I don't think there's a way he's going to play for the OKC blue. And if he does, it's not going to be for an extended run here. And with Trey Mann, you know what you're getting. This guy is a firecracker. He's six foot five. A lot of his game has to do with shooting the basketball, but he's also a very good penetrator. And that's just everything that Mark Dagnall and Sam Presti have been kind of accumulating for the last two seasons now. And to just give a little bit of background on Trey Mann, he started out with the Florida Gators and his freshman season was not that inspiring. He wasn't someone you're looking at to be a first round pick, maybe even not a second round pick because the numbers were just not there for him. He averaged 5.3 points, 1.9 rebounds, and 0.7 assists playing off the bench. And he just didn't really have the moments to get out there. But his sophomore season, he made a massive jump. This is most improved player type numbers here. Going from 5.3 points to being the commander on the Gators, averaging 16 points. On top of that, he averaged 5.6 rebounds and 3.5 assists 
while shooting 40.2% from distance, taking 4.7 tries a game. So he was out there all night. He was looking to score, and he did an excellent job in doing so. And the thing with Trey Mann is he's very hot and cold. Like, I give you guys the numbers from Florida. It wasn't like every game he's out there dropping 15, 20 points. That was not the case. He'd have those games where he'd just be bricking shots, and you did not want him with the basketball in his hands. And we saw that in Vegas. And that's really why I think people aren't paying as much attention as they should on him right now, because his Vegas games, they were not that pretty, at least when you look on paper. He ended up playing only two games because then he had personal reasons that took him out for the final three. But in those games, he averaged nine points, 4.5 rebounds, and 3.5 assists, which honestly, those are not bad numbers. But the problem comes with the efficiency. He shot 24.1% from the floor, and then from three, absolutely nothing was going in for him, and that was kind of a 180, and I didn't expect it. I don't think many people expected it. When you saw Trey Mann, the big thing was when you were kind of picking apart that scouting report, uh, it was that he was going to be looking to shoot threes at will, and honestly, sometimes he was shying away from them. He got a little bit of room but he didn't really see that. So he wanted to drive in and kind of take hits from a lot of front court guys. And for some people, that's a turnoff. I understand why that would be one. It's not a high quality shot for him because he's like 180 pounds or so. But I was impressed that he was willing to take those shots. And this was on a consistent basis. I don't have it pulled up on me right now, but I'll tell you what, he definitely led this team in field goals attempted. He was taking 14 plus a night, and a lot of those were coming right around the rack where he wasn't even going towards his main set of moves. Trey Mann was one of the top guys when it came to when it came to floaters uh, from last year's draft class, but you didn't see a lot of those uh, at the summer league level. You just saw a lot of driving layups in him trying to dunk a little bit too, and he's not going to get up there all that often. He still can. It was just, uh, it was a little bit interesting to see that. Um, I did not think we'd see that Trey Mann, but it was still wild. So you see him taking these wacky layups. Some of them went in, some of them didn't. A lot of them were like just, if it was a little bit softer, they'd be going in and it'd be on Center, right? But yeah, uh, as you can say, like 24.1% is really bad. And for a first round pick, yeah, it, it makes it... A little bit worse, but I'm not putting much stock in the two games. You look at anyone's two-game stretch, you can find some stinkers, probably worse than Trey Mann's here, and that's why I'm on the side that he's probably going to break out in some of these games, and the reason I say it is because he was being aggressive. Also, this man looks super-duper shifty, and SGA, he's one who gets around guys It doesn't really look like it's based off of his actual natural speed. With Trey Mann, he's beating you off the dribble with his speed alone. And he has a deadly step back. He can stop and pop out of nowhere, which makes him really hard to defend. So I think that's what we're going to see in some of these preseason games. Now, every single one of them, probably not. I think we're going to see a game or two where he really does erupt and people are going to see really the potential we have. Uh, in him, uh, and we, of course, mean the Thunder, but yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be some moments with man, and when you want to check some of the other numbers with his time in Florida, 
he was very serious. The final seven games he had in a Gators uniform, he averaged 20.7 points. He had four games in a row where he dropped 20 plus, and then he had a 30 point game, uh, which was his career high in college. And this all came from last season. So he is a great scorer. And that's not even taken into account that he's a pretty good passer as well. He had tunnel vision in Vegas, but I think with training camp and just the time off, he should probably have a different mindset and kind of revert to those college days where, hey, if someone's closing out from the corner, you better be looking towards the corner and trying to make a play happen. And if that's the case, you might see a repeat of Teo Maladone. And hell, if Teo's getting the same minutes from last year, he'll probably give you the same production. Very, very solid player. Um, But with man, I really couldn't give you averages here. I just see him as someone who will take over a game for a tiny stretch and then we're all going to be talking about him. He's very hit or miss. I don't know if he's maybe more consistent than some of the other guys here, but he has a lot of potential that he will for sure be showing off during these four preseason games. After Trey Mann, you go to the opposite side of the spectrum pretty much. You go to Rob Edwards and once again, just like you're at seven, if you've been listening to me for a while, you probably know about Rob Edwards and you'll probably hear the same speech I'm giving again because it's just a good one to always bring up when you talk about Rob Edwards. But he's kind of just been an underdog uh, the entire time he's been a pro and it's kind of the same spot he's in right now. He played five years of college basketball. He had two years where he played at Cleveland State, had a little transfer year, and then he got to play two seasons at Arizona State before declaring for the draft. The OKC Blue almost didn't take Rob Edwards. People honestly almost let him go undrafted at the G League level. He was a second round pick. I believe it was the seventh selection there. And that was the final one that I recall the Thunder having. They might have taken Vincent Edwards, but I also could have seen that as a trade. Anyways, though, it didn't really seem like Rob Edwards was a highly ranked prospect really at all so he came out of nowhere joining a blue team that already had too many guards and with Edwards he's a six foot five scorer I mean when you check his statistics really all four years of college he's dropping double digits uh the splits are pretty solid too but he wasn't dropping like 20 30 points you know it's like 11 points a game that's your average when you're at ASU Uh, but he was still consistent and Yeah, I think he got put in that situation where he wasn't really being looked at a ton. He still had opportunities, but he had to work for them because the blue roster was just loaded. Ty Jerome, he got called down to play because of his injury. So he was already kind of that front man at the point guard position. But you can't forget their first round pick in the G League draft was Xavier Simpson. He's a point guard and he's not like Ty Jerome where he's 6'5". Simpson, I'm not even sure if he breaks six feet. So he's the one. Ty's playing the two. And then you look into that second unit. That's kind of where you could see Rob Edwards sliding. Have to remember, though, Chason Randall was on this team for two games. So he was going in as guy number four uh, when it came to that kind of guard depth chart. And you could probably even try to put him at five. I'm going to put him at four, though. So anyways, the point is, The spotlight was not on Rob Edwards, but he just continued to make his presence known. The first couple games, he'd just quietly drop like 10, 12 points, 
and you started focusing on him. Chase on Randall, he signed a two-way contract with the Orlando Magic. Now he's the guy running the bench unit, and that's when he turned into really a star off the bench for the OKC Blue. These 10-point games, they happened all the time. It was a regular occurrence, and unlike other people, I'm going to just throw out Poku, for example, where he'd get you 10 games, or he'd get 10 points in a game, but it'd take him the full length, and the splits were not amazing. When it came to Rob Edwards, he'd go out there middle of the second quarter, maybe back end of the first quarter. He'd have eight points shooting three for three. He just got it down. He was the microwave scorer for that blue team, and he is kind of the reason why they were 7-1, and one, and the leader of the G League through the first half of games because you'd have Moses Brown just dominate. You'd have Poku sometimes go off. I mean, mainly, I'd say it was Moses Brown doing the dirty uh, dirty damage. Same with Antonius Cleveland, but they get out there, and then the second unit comes in, Rob Edwards becomes the star. Yurt7 also was right there with them, so you had the dynamic duos. People were out like 20 points before halftime, so it got ugly very fast. And that was kind of really in large part thanks to Rob Edwards. And just every single game it was like that. I know by the end of the season, I was really just loving Rob Edwards. You could tell what he was going to do before he did things. He just had really crazy tendencies. Like on a fast break, he's looking to stop and pop at the left wing every time. Get an entry pass from Ryan Woolridge or whoever it is, and he would just drill it. He seemed unfazed at some moments, and that is really, really damn special. So he even got to start, I think, one or two games with the blue. It didn't work out as well. This was the very end where I think most of the Thunder guys started getting called back up. Um, but the bench was big for him. He was the sixth man. If you're not going to give it to Yurt Seven, you're definitely giving it to Rob Edwards. He finished averaging. 12.5 points, 3.4 rebounds, and 1.5 assists playing all 15 games. And he led the team in three-point shooting, went 44%. That is an elite level from downtown, and it was not a fluke, folks. So he was serious, and then you didn't hear much from him. I think he was 24 at the time. He still is 24, uh, but it, it seemed like he'd get a deal from somebody whether it's a 10-day contract or a two-way contract, his shooting was legit enough to the point that I thought maybe even the Thunder would take a swing on him. Whenever you started upgrading Moses Brown and then you had guys like um, Justin Robinson, for example, I would have had Rob Edwards over Justin Robinson. Are you kidding me? I know SGA was out and they needed some guard play, um, especially at the point guard, but you can still give it to Rob Edwards, see him for 10 days. Charlie Brown Jr. over Rob Edwards didn't make much sense to me, uh, and no one in the league wanted him, so he was just out there training. He's been training uh, with a lot of different people. I'm trying to think of the last name. I think it's Hardy, but they have like some five stars on the up and up right there. He's been working out with Lou Dort a lot over the offseason. He has the Arizona State connection, so James Harden, probably talking back and forth with him as well. I've seen them talking together on Instagram before. Uh, but yeah, like he has just been working his tail off and he got another opportunity with the Thunder's summer league team um, last month. And it was kind of just the same thing where he's going in, kind of just fighting for a standing chance. And 
He proved himself enough to where I thought he'd get minutes. He didn't get major minutes to begin with, which was surprising because Garant Gibbs, the Blues head coach, was man in the show. Uh, then Cameron Woods came in and gave Rob Edwards minutes, but it was the same story just rewritten again, where he's starting at the bottom of the chain, but he worked his way up to where he dropped the team high on two different occasions, had 23 points, and I think one of them, like the third quarter, he had 16 or 18 points to where he was just getting the ball at will. Everyone on the floor knew, give the ball to Rob Edwards, get out of the way, he's going to make something happen. And unlike what we saw normally from the blue, he wasn't just dominating from three. Like he could hit you with a step back, he could pull up from the mid-range, but he was just attacking the basket at will and he was successful. He'd get to the line, hit those free throws. It was a legitimate three-level scoring game we saw in Las Vegas. And that's why I'm really pumped up to see him now. And here's the problem. This is the third different time Rob Edwards is coming in, not as, um, you know, someone who's expected to get minutes. I don't know how often we're going to see him, and I feel like he deserves to be at that stage where he should get 15 minutes in tonight's game, but the problem is there's already so many guys at the point guard position. When you want to tally them all up, it's damn near... 9-10 guys that are going to be fighting for point guard minutes. You have SGA, you have Ty Jerome, Teo's there, Trey Mann's going to be there, Kenrich potentially, Aaron Wiggins, Paul Watson, Josh Giddy. I mean, you just rack it up, rack it up. Rob Edwards is not one of those guys who is on a contract right now. Everyone I listed, they're either on a two-way deal or they're on that 15-man roster. And I think we're probably going to see more of Edwards in the last two games, I would say, which I'm still very pumped to see him. But I would like to see maybe some Frank Jackson treatment where he's going to be playing some minutes off the bench right away. And maybe, you know, in the case of players like Dort or SGA, where they know they're standing, um, they might set them to the side, keep them just in training uh, when, um, yeah, when these games go down so they can let people like Rob Edwards get a moment, um, to shine. And I think if he does, it's just like Trey Mann. It's just like what I've said about him before. He'll have games where he's not good. Um, but then he's going to have that major quarter, which just changes the perspective on him everywhere. He's went to this point. He's become the fan favorite. I would think that trend continues if he gets proper minutes. And I hope that he sticks around with the blue. This was a very interesting call, I think, that they uh, that they decided to stay in OKC because of the logjam here, but it just lets you know kind of just that will that you have in Edwards here. So I like him. I've been riding on his coattails for a while. I'm going to keep riding on his coattails, and I'm going to tell you guys to just keep your eyes out for the 24-year-old. Beyond Rob Edwards, though, we're going to go back to that 15-man rotation, and we're going to go to a rookie again, but this is not your traditional rookie. This is Vit Krejci, and his story has a couple twists and turns here. The Thunder selected him in the 2020 draft. This is where Schofield was in there, like I mentioned. They traded, I think, Cassius Winston in a future second to get him, so it was a very good deal for the Thunder, but anyways, he suffered a torn ACL in September of 2020. So he really hasn't played basketball in like a year to this point, And he's been rehabbing in OKC since January. He's been involved with the franchise. He went to the Raptors 
uh, home game. That's the only one that I know for sure, like the Thunder vs. Raptors game, uh, because Brandon Rabar reported it. But there were some other moments too, like birthday parties, being at the gym at 5 in the morning. He was all over the place. And then he even signed a G League deal with the Blue. I think that was in order to um, give him access to like facilities and all that. But he was involved, and he's going to be involved for this upcoming season. The one little thing with Vit Krejci, I don't know if we're going to see him all that often. Trey Mann has been dealing with some injuries. I don't think Rob Edwards has. I know Vid Krejci still probably is not at 100% with his ACL injury, and I feel like he's ready to play. Like, he played fine. He was getting compliments during day one of training camp, but they had to rest him uh, in order to kind of keep him on track, and I heard that there was a hiccup. That's what Dagnalt said. Didn't really hear much else on the matter, but... There is something going on, so maybe they want to limit him again. He was supposed to play summer league games. That was the original kind of thing for him. Like July, he'd start engaging in some contact, and then it was going to be a go for August. Did not happen. Now we're in the early stages of October. The actual season's like right here, uh, and we don't have any real indicator that he will be back. He's been playing though, so I hope we get to see him at least one time and just see what he can contribute to the roster. And I don't know if we're seeing him for 20, 25 minutes. Might just see like um, load management, just go in for 10 minutes, see him work. But even if it is 10 minutes, he's someone you want to look at because he checks everything that the Thunder have been doing. I talked about the microwave scores, uh, how the Thunder have wanted those guys. I've talked about 3 and D wings, how every single draft it seemed like in the mid-2010s, the Thunder were gunning for those players. Now, it's all about getting those oversized ball handlers, and Vit Krejci is one of them. Even if he doesn't pan out, I don't understand how he fell to 37th here, because he is a six foot eight true point guard. And he has a lot of skills. He's not a guy who's blowing by you. He's never going to kill you with speed. He has an okay handle with the basketball. I wouldn't say it's elite at this point, but his passing is so good. He is just like, I'd say Poku, probably more comparable to Deck, um, where he's going to slash in, not insanely fast, but he knows where everybody is on the court. And if he's penetrating, he'll kick it out to the corner. He's looking to make no-look passes. Mid-air, he's doing adjustments to throw passes back out to players. His highlight reel from Basket Zaragoza is pretty damn serious. So he's able to do that. I'd say in comparison to Poku, not as many special plays uh, in terms of passing. However, you're going to get that good blend of kind of craftiness, but also he's not going to be throwing the basketball at Gatorade tubs. Uh, That did happen with Poku one time with the blue. We haven't seen it in a while, so I'm not anticipating or expecting that. Uh, I don't think Kreji would do that stuff either. He's a lot more uh, kind of well-mannered when it comes to gunning off some of those riskier passes. But the good thing about Kreji is he doesn't only do it with the ball in his hands. He is an effective slasher on or off the ball. When he drives in, he is looking for blood. He wants to take you right at the apex of his jump and just kind of force the shot up. He will connect and get some fouls here. He didn't get as many fouls at the European level. Granted, I think the rules are a little bit different to where you can have that physicality, at least a little bit more. NBA, 
you, you're not, you're really not going to fly off of it. And Critchy's not at that status to where any bit of contact would get him calls. But if he were there, he'd be getting calls every time he slashed in because he drives in through contact every single time it feels like. Most of the time it's going to be layups. He's not throwing down much more than like a rim grazer on um, on offense, but he'll still shock you, I think. There'll probably be an impressive dunk from him if he fully heals from the ACL injury. And the big thing that I like and what I've always said is I don't know if Kretschy has to necessarily play the one. I think you can make him a genuine off-ball piece because he was a very good backdoor slasher with Zaragoza because, you know, he wasn't the primary guy. He really hardly played because he was pretty young in the Premier League. Uh, but he could cut in, he could, you know, soar up there for layups or dunks when, you know, the defender wasn't looking. Just very good weak side um, presence when it comes to just addressing the floor and then kind of picking it apart at some moments. So I could see him playing the two or the three in some of these lineups, but also I could see him being a catch and shoot guy that could kind of turn this game uh, upside down, or at least his current game. He shot mid thirties with Zaragoza. Um, now he was injured, so he didn't see enough to really verify what his percentage would be here, but he's got a pretty fluid release. It's not like deck where it's a set shot. He's got that one motion. It's going to go up pretty fast. So if you're sagging off, it's a wide open jumper for Vit Kredge. And like, if he's even getting 32, 33%, that is a major win in my book because he can really just do everything else already, um, to a good enough level. And we haven't seen him enough in those higher tier games to where I can say immediately it's a seamless fit. But I will tell you right now, just this current archetype that he has is absolutely ridiculous. And if it all works out, they have another person to put next to Poku. There's another guy to put next to Josh Giddy. You can just make your lineups as fun as you would like because you've kind of been searching for that fifth guy with the hypotheticals. I talked about Poku. Uh, maybe Baze could be the fifth guy to work with Kredgey, but yeah, ridiculous stuff could happen here. And I think that honestly, we could see Vid Kredgey in those wacky lineups as soon as today. If not today, in the next week or so, you could see Vid out there uh, doing some damage. But yeah, I'm pumped up. I could see this being a deal where they don't want to overuse him. His stats don't look that excellent. I'm just looking for a couple of highlights, and that's all I need to take away uh, from his game and then rule like, hey, he's going to be something uh, for this team. And if he doesn't show a lot, I'm going to tell you right now, he's probably playing with the blue a good chunk because they're already overflowed at the guard spots, and he will probably need reps just as Ty Jerome did last season. Worked out for Ty, worked out for Poku. Why not make it work for Vit Kredgey? But those are the three people that I think uh, are prone to be the next standout player. Now, if you're going to go more realistic, I wanted to go with the flyer picks. You could go ahead and say someone like Teo, one of those second year or third year guys, but I just wanted to make it those people that might be a little bit under the radar right now for honorable mentions. I know people have liked DJ Wilson, just the idea of a stretch five. I'd like to see DJ Wilson out there. I think he's 25 years old and you know, we're always in need of someone like him. So if he's out there dropping 10, 12 a game, I'll be really pumped. I don't know if he's going to stay around. If I had to kind of judge between him 
Edwards and Daikite, I would think that they'd be looking towards another big man as opposed to another guard. Um, but we'll have to wait and see what happens with all of those guys. And you guys will be able to as soon as 7 p.m. tonight because they are officially teeing off preseason play. They're playing the Charlotte Hornets at the Paycom Center. First game we're going to see there. If you haven't already seen on Twitter, their lighting setup is pretty legit now. They have green neon lights really just encompassing the entire top portion of the building. Now, I hope it's not neon green when the games go on. That just wouldn't make much sense. Um, If there's any indicator, and this isn't a good one, the Paycom logos on the floor are indeed green. Uh, but I, I think they'd have to change the color. Like, I really just hope it they do. Put it like sunset orange or just whatever, blue. Make it work because it would look sick. Um, but anyways, that's going to be their first game. They've already had people go in and out of there. Has not been a game opened up to the public to this point until now, though. So that's pretty exciting. When you look at the game, as I said, 7 p.m. is going to be your tip-off time. You guys can watch this uh on the Thunder app, which I don't know if there's a blackout. I think on uh, OKC Thunder's website, which is nba.com slash thunder, that one might be regionally blacked out to where you can only see it in a certain range. So I don't, yeah, I guess it'd be a blackout. Like if you're 90 miles within OKC, you probably should be good. Maybe even more than that. I don't have full clarification. It's worth a shot though. And if it doesn't work out, you guys can check the Thunder mobile app and you should be able to get the feed. So this isn't one that you're going to find on Bally Sports, sadly. I don't know if there were any like that last year either, but as soon as regular season play begins, all 82 will be on Bally Sports Oklahoma. Until now, though, you guys got to go to the website. And when you check the injury report here, I don't know if the Thunder have submitted one yet because right now it says all 20 are good to go. I talked about Vit kind of being on and off that injury report. Derek Favors has been on the injury report um, for last week, and then so has Trey Mann. So I think they might sideline one of them and just not rule it, or maybe really close to tip-off time, they will submit one. Right now, though, looks like everybody is geared up to play. And for the Charlotte Hornets, they submitted their injury report yesterday. They will not have the services of Jalen McDaniels and DJ Carton. So Jalen... I think he actually had a pretty good game against the Thunder last year. Not going to see him. For Carton, I don't think we've seen him play yet at this level, and we will not see him in tonight's game. The big thing that we are going to be looking out for, and the big thing I think, yeah, everyone should be looking out for, is SGA making his return. There's no indicator that he will be out I think because this is game number one, he should be in that starting unit. He should be able to get back into the motions. And this should be the first time in 196 days that he is out on an NBA floor. The plantar fasciitis injury took him out in March. Haven't seen him since. Before that point, though, he was leading the Thunder really damn well. They were 16 and 19 whenever he first got injured that was 35 games through the season and then they kind of just dropped off they finished the year going 6 and 31 when SGA was not out playing and that's when guys like Scott Van Pelt got pretty upset 
with the team. But SGA was a real leader. There's a reason why they gave him the five-year max. He was dropping 23.7 points last year, close to five rebounds, and close to six assists, playing 34 minutes a game. So the expectations are high for him. I believe he's going to achieve them. Um, He's just a very, very good player. And based off of what we've heard, sounds like he's good to go. He mentioned 150% in uh, media day conferences. So I'm going to take his word for it and say he's at 150% for this game against the Charlotte Hornets. To go along with SGA, going to have the same returning faces. The second year and third year guys, Poku, Teo, Bays, Ty, um, going beyond that, I mean, Lou Dort, obviously, we're going to see him in that starting unit. So there's a lot of pieces that you guys can monitor here. But I think a lot of the spotlight, and this is going to be the big story, is the other guys that are coming into the mix. And there are 10 new faces that you're going to find on this roster. Six people are out from that final um, game last year against the Clippers. So six out, 10 in. Uh, to help fill out everything, and a lot of them are going to be rookies. There's five that are on the team, and we already know who the biggest one is right here. Josh Giddy, number five pick. We didn't get to see much of him in summer league play, but the one play where he was healthy, he blew right past Cade Cunningham and threw down a dunk, and then he had this sprained ankle to where you didn't see him after five minutes, Um, but it's going to be fun to see him. I mean, he's a 6'8". He says he's a six foot nine point guard. And I would think a lot of those minutes that we're going to find him in the regular season will come next to SGA. So if SGA is playing, I would think you're going to try to get the Giddy and SGA combo going um, at some points, which will be cool to maybe see how Giddy plays off the ball with him. But with the ball in his hands, he's a straight-up playmaker. He was the NBL Rookie of the Year last season. Played some pretty good averages to where it's like, you know, I think it was 13 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Just that clean-cut palette to where he's doing a little bit of everything for you. And the passing game is very, very strong. So if SGA is kicking it out to Giddy, if he's wide open from 3, he'll take it. If someone's closing out, he'll drive in. He can dunk it, he can lay it in, or he can kick it right back out. Even if it's a tough pass, he's pretty good at gunning it off. And he's the second youngest player in the NBA. So there is some potential here, and the relationship between SGA and Giddy is going to have a long time to sort of mature, and we might be able to see that process mature immediately, game number one. I don't know if we're going to find it this early, but we're going to see some moments from Giddy at a full kind of game's resume, because we haven't seen it yet just due to his injury. Drayman, we've seen him two games. Now, were they full games? Yes. I don't think we've seen him really at full capacity yet and hopefully the groin injury isn't still nagging on him to where he needs to get pulled out of play if he is playing I'm pumped because like I said he's just like most of the Thunder guards right now where he's 6'5 he's a combo guard he can play on or off the ball but when he's with it ball in his hands he can step back create for himself or drive in off a screen hit the roll man hit him if he's popping hit someone in the corner or go up with a floater. So just has that bag of a little bit of everything. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl, 32nd pick, he kind of has a pretty diverse bag as well. Didn't expect to see him leading the team in summer league uh, points, for the Thunder at least, and he did at 12. 
he was out there shooting threes like crazy. You always want to have those stretch five guys. Isaiah Roby became one out of nowhere last season. Looks like he might be following the footsteps of Roby right now. A lot of chatter has been surrounding Robinson Earl's three-point game uh, in the last week. So I want to see him out stretching the floor. I guarantee we're going to see a lot of floor spacing from this Thunder team, and I'm sure Jeremiah Robinson Earl will have something to do with that. Aaron Wiggins, the two-way contract addition, he was meant to be kind of like Jeremiah Robinson Earl is now. Just go out there, wing, you're going to be a defender, but on the offensive side, just stay out there at the wing or the corner and take some catch-and-shoot threes. He did that a little bit. Uh, during the summer league but for the most part he was slashing inside which is not kind of typical of him Um, at least at Maryland you didn't see it too often so he was branching out and I still think this is a testing center for him he's on that two-way deal so he'll be able to test a lot more than maybe some of these other guys will since he will be playing for the OKC Blue at some capacity so that's going to be big and then the fifth rookie is Vit Krejci. I already kind of gave you the rundown on him, but yeah, just watching him out there, seeing if he fits with this Thunder team is going to be huge. And if the answer is yes, it's going to be very, very exciting for the future outlook of this team. I don't know if he's going to be a starter, of course, but just having another good bench contributor with that play style is major because you're not going to find that many around the NBA. You got to kind of hoard some, if you know what I'm saying there. Past that, you have guys like Rob Edwards that I mentioned, Mamadi Daikite, DJ Wilson, just some players that are fighting for some minutes on this team, and I'm all for it. I'm really excited because it's bound to happen. I think one of these guys that um, really we haven't thought of will spring out as a genuine candidate to either get more minutes on this team or get a roster spot on this team and for the Charlotte Hornets you could probably make the same assessment like the training camp guys might explode for 10 15 20 points here I'm just honing in on the major guys though and the main person is LaMelo Ball he's coming back from an an injury as well just like SGA Ball played 51 games last season and he was actually um there was kind of actually a group that didn't want him to get rookie of the year because he didn't play as much as Anthony Edwards. His stats were really good though. Ball averaged 15.7 points, 5.9 rebounds, and 6.1 assists. Pretty good shooting averages there too. And that's his second time getting a rookie of the year award. Did it at the NBL level. This was with the Hawks uh, season before Josh Giddy did the same thing with the Adelaide 36ers. So that's a little bit of lineage that you can track uh, if you would like to. But anyways, LaMelo Ball's legit. I mean, just like he was at Chino Hills, he's going to be throwing those wacky passes, but he's looking to shoot the ball. And I think him going toe-to-toe with SGA is pretty damn good matchup because LaMelo, he's no joke. We know in a couple years he'll be dangerous. SGA is dangerous right now, and they're both pretty young. So this could be a matchup that you might see in the future at some point. We're going to see it tonight, though. And that is going to be an absolute fireworks show. Beyond the mellow, you have guys like Terry Rozier returning. He was the leading scorer last year. Miles Bridges will be back. PJ Washington. I wanted to say Jalen McDaniels, but um, or Jaden McDaniels. But as I said, he is not going to be playing. So it is what it is. You kind of move um, beyond that one, though. But they're still 
pretty well decorated here. They have more vets than the Thunder do, of course. I still think they're going to be testing out a lot of the younger guys, though, in that second unit of guys. I think the biggest young guy you need to look out for on this Hornets team is number 11 pick James Booknight. And this is the storyline of the game, in my opinion. James Booknight versus Josh Giddy. And I don't know if they're going to be defending each other. I don't know where Giddy's going to be positionally tonight. However, I would think based on Giddy just being so movable in terms of positions, Booknight should be matched up against Giddy at some point here. And honestly, on the surface level, it doesn't really matter. Unless you know about the details of James Booknight, this is just a rookie versus rookie matchup. This is the primo matchup you're looking at in a summer league game. And I kind of want to still look at it like that because you are experimenting here. Um, but has a little bit more deep-rooted history uh, when you ask some Thunder fans. There was a major group of fans heading into draft night that preferred James Booknight over Jonathan Kuminga, and they definitely preferred him over Josh Giddy, who was kind of a dark horse and was an absolute surprise to go as early as he did in the draft class. There were reports of him doing workouts with the team. There were reports that he was out with Dagnalt and Presti at restaurants. Like it was just all over. And that was the main um, kind of news that you would find when it came to OKC Thunder draft stuff. There was, of course, the Kuminga talk. There was talk of guys like Scotty Barnes, but I think we saw, you know, that Barnes would be going before Kuminga and it'd ultimately be Kuminga or James Booknight at the pick. Didn't happen that way, but that's what the thought was. And a lot of people were heartbroken when they did not take James Booknight because they look at Booknight as a guy who can be that off-ball or on-ball presence right next to SGA. This is a guard who, he's 21, so he's not uh, as young as Josh Giddy, but he's expected to be a pretty explosive scorer because he could shoot from distance. Now, the UConn stats wouldn't show that, but when you look into the finer details, he was a legit shooter on or off. He could do it off um, the dribble as well, but he could tap into the mid-range and finish around the basket. A lot of reverses came his way. So, you know, that's kind of that prototype um, wingman, per se, next to your star. Like, you think of Damian Lillard. You know, his man is going to be CJ McCollum, right? And SGA's would have been James Booknight if everything kind of went to plan. But the Thunder went a different direction. They don't want to go uh, the same route as everybody. We found that out pretty quickly, and they did it yet again in taking a playmaker in Josh Giddy. So people are going to be quick to make assumptions here. That's just how the world of social media works. Is that the big portion of fans? Probably not. I think people are going to be patient, um, but it will be cool to see kind of who outbattles the other since there was a large kind of commotion surrounding Book Night and OKC. Outside of that, though, I think it really comes down to individual matchups. I'm here looking for a good game. We are definitely going to be getting that. And as I said, if you guys want to tune in to this game, you guys can do so on the Thunder mobile app, or you can go to the Thunder's website on NBA.com. It's a 7 p.m. tip-off time, Central Standard Time. If it's Eastern, you're looking at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. start. I'm going to get you guys a game recap in the next one, but until then, 
That is all I have for you right now. I thank you all for listening to this episode, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.